0: Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. We grew up in a
1: world where we were told that the path to success is to climb the corporate ladder. You get that entry-level job, you work for a couple of years, you make a slight move, maybe you get a promotion, maybe you make a move to another company, you make a little bit more money, manage a few people. And we keep doing that sort of ping-ponging from place to place to place until you end up in, in a nice cushy sort of corner
0: office. I think those days are behind us. Today on episode 592 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Jeff Gotthell. I'm going to ask Jeff how you can become a magnet for inbound opportunities and much more. Stay with us to hear all the details. You can find out more about Jeff along with all of our previous episodes at SmashingThePlateau.com. Are you building your own business after a long career as an employed professional? Listen to our show, Going Solo, also found on our website, SmashingThePlateau.com. Now let's welcome Jeff Gotthelf. Jeff helps organizations build better products and executives build the cultures that build better products. Through the use of concepts like design thinking, lean user experience, and agile software development, he brings a new approach to running organizations and the departments within them, most recently focusing on human resources and how they can be more agile, as well as support agility in the organization. Jeff, welcome to the show.
1: David, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having
0: me. In your book, Forever Employable, you describe that when you graduated college in 1995, you wanted to be a professional rock musician. And you, in fact, started your career working in the music industry. You describe how you went from pursuing your passion into what you then called a real job. (laughs) So what happened that caused you to give up your dream of becoming a famous rock musician? We gave it a real shot, David.
1: I mean, that's the truth. We suffered for our art over several years, touring the East Coast in a crappy old van, um, sleeping, you know, six to a hotel. A motel is a fancy word, really. It was a motel room, to be fair. And, you know, you grind it out night after night after night. And, you know, some, some of those nights are great. But those are few and far between. A lot of those nights were seven, eight, nine, ten people in a bar somewhere in in the middle of nowhere, in North Carolina or South Carolina, off I ninety five, and you know I was tired of being broke. I wasn't making any money. I wanted to have, go on dates with girls. <laughs> you know, I was I was traveling every weekend for, for music, and eventually, if I was going to come off the road, I didn't I didn't have a penny to my name. We were literally scraping scraping by. And so I decided that that, that after nearly a decade, really, of of pursuing this actively, it was time to figure out how to make some money in my life because this this wasn't going to cut it. So what, what was the real job? The real job was web design. So in 1999, Web 1.0, right, the big dot-com bubble was on its way up. The bubble was expanding. And in 1999, if you could spell HTML, which is the, the language that the web was made of back in 1999, you could get a job. And I could do a little bit more than spell it. I could actually write a little bit of HTML and do some very basic graphic design, and that's all you needed. There was so much demand and so few people who uh, available to do the work. I got a job at a company called IXL. It was one of the big 1.0, uh, web 1.0 consulting companies, crazy valuation, crazy growth. But it was my first gig and it paid real money. I got I had a nice chair and a 401k, first time in my life,
0: the whole thing. So life was good, yet in 2008, you made a transformation resolution.
1: Well, between 99 and 2008, a lot happened, right? So between 99 and 2008, I got married. That was a big deal. And I had children as well, right? Another big deal. Another big deal. A couple of them, in fact. And, you know, we'd moved around a bunch. And in 2008, I found myself back in New York City, which is where I grew up in New Jersey, outside of New York City find myself back in the city. I've got a great job. I'm, I'm the director of user experience, design. Um, so now like this design career has really taken off at a high growth startup in the city. We've got a nice house in Jersey, a couple of cars, a couple of kids, the whole thing. And so more, the morning of January 31st, 2008 was the morning of my 35th birthday. And I woke up on that morning in a panic, cold sweat, and really took me a long time to figure out why, because like you said, everything was good. You had the American dream. Exactly, I had it all, yeah. Literally, we had a white picket fence around the house, a couple of cars, the whole thing. And what dawned on me, it it took me a while to get there, but what dawned on me eventually was that in five years, I was going to be 40. And when you're 35 and and you're coming up, 40 feels like the end of the road, right? It's gonna, I I was, you're gonna be old. This side of 40, I'm like woohoo, 40, can't wait. Happily go back to 40. But from that side of 40, right, 35 is like, man, I got five years. I got five years. And in five years, I'm going to be overpaid and unemployable because my salary demands were only going up. Our lifestyle demands were only going up. And there is, particularly for design leadership roles, which is the direction that I was heading in, there there was a ceiling. There's just, there aren't that many chief design officer roles. There aren't. There's a, you can get a VP of design maybe. And I was seeing my friends who were a little bit older than me, a little bit more experience, really struggling to find work as they were leaving for their next gigs. They were really struggling to find jobs where they could stay at for a few years, make the kind of money we're, we're talking about. You know, so I was making one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars at that time, right? And my friends were looking for two hundred to twenty-five, and they were really struggling to find it. And I was terrified that in five years. I was going to be overpaid and unemployable and really unable to feed my family or at the very least provide for them in the manner that they'd been accustomed to up until that point.
0: Yeah. And did you also see people who were 40 ish getting pushed out or was it just that they were having trouble moving up the ladder beyond where they were? there was some of that as well.
1: So skill sets really were the the critical component here. Uh, I was commuting from New Jersey to New York City on a daily basis and talking to the the other dads on the train on a daily basis. And some of these guys were getting pushed out because their skill sets were getting dated and they weren't doing enough to to modernize them. And so there there was both the, my skill sets are current, but I'm still struggling to find a good position. And then there was my skill sets don't make sense anymore in an increasingly digital world. And that was very scary as well,
0: staying relevant. So now um, you figured out what to do about it. And before we get into the details, fast forward to 2021, you have actually been self-employed for a number of years, right? That has been the path that you've taken. Yet you recently wrote a book titled Forever Employable. All true. Yeah. So let's talk about the book first. Why did you write Forever Employable? That we can fill in the dots of, of how you got to where you are now from that uh, sort of uh, crisis of, of um, where you were and where you wanted to go in 2008. Yeah. So
1: the book came about because of the, the self-employed career. So over the last six, seven, eight years, I have developed a, a brand, a reputation, a network, and an audience that has led to uh, a healthy consulting career, lots of speaking gigs. The Forever Employable is my fourth book. I've written three books before that. So book deals, that type of thing. And over the course of two to three years, I was getting weekly inbound inquiries. Hey Jeff, how did you get that book deal for your first book? How did you get up on stage for that conference? how did you end up on that podcast? Those questions come in on a a regular basis. And it dawned on me, well, this is me essentially sensing demand from the market, right? So I have an audience and that audience is now asking me a different question than they normally do. Normally they say, help us design better websites or build better teams or better organizations. But in this case, they're saying, help us figure out how to do what you did. And to me, this was an opportunity. So I said, okay, great. I've been kind of thinking about sort of what my next expansion was going to be. And this made sense because the demand was already there. And so I decided to write Forever Employable as a semi-autobiographical take on how I built the business that I have today. And it starts on the morning of my 35th birthday. That's when the story starts. And it shares not only my story very tactically and practically, but lots and lots of other people's adventures
0: in becoming Forever Employable. Right. But now, is your book designed for somebody who is self-employed or somebody who is employed? Yes, it is. And why, why is there no difference? There, there's no difference because I
1: believe that the future of work is changing, right? So we grew up in a world where we were told that the path to success is to climb the corporate ladder. Right? So you get, you get, you get that entry-level job, you work for a couple of years, you make a slight move, maybe, maybe you get a promotion, maybe you make a move to another company, you make a little bit more money, manage a few people, right? and we keep doing that sort of ping-ponging from place to place to place until you end up in, in, a, in a nice cushy sort of corner office. I think those days are behind us. I mean, certainly you can still figure out how to do that, but there's, there's so much change, there's so much risk, there's so much volatility and unpredictability in the world today, that I think that relying on that as the path to financial stability and success is just, it's unreasonably risky these days. And frankly, you are giving up way too much control in that situation, right? So if you think about that, I think a lot in, uh, in, in terms of systems thinking, right? so in systems thinking, this is like a push system, right? Where you're pushing yourself into the job hunt, you send out your resume, you send out a request for an interview, right? And then you give up that control. You give the power to somebody else to say, Jeff, I choose you for this interview, or I choose you for this position. And so how do you take that back? How do you create a a situation where instead of you chasing them, they're chasing you? And that can be true whether you want to stay employed in-house for the rest of your career, or whether you want to be self-employed as well.
0: Yeah, I want to add one other data point to the um the issue of of being employed which is you, we were talking earlier about what it's like to be around the age of 40 and employed is particularly if you're a high achiever and you're in a role with a with good compensation the options going forward get more and more limited if you're Over the age of 50, at least in the US, the lot of statistics that I've seen indicate that you have more than a 50% chance of being terminated from your job, not due to performance.
1: Yeah, it's it's terrifying, right? And so how do you create that career safety net? Think about this, the ideas that I talk about in this book to me are career insurance, right? It's, It's this career safety net that says, I'm not worried if that happens to me, because I've created a situation based on my experience and my expertise—the things that I know, the things that I'm good at, the things that I've, I've proven at—I've created a situation where opportunity. I'm attracting opportunities towards me continuously.
0: And so, what are the keys to being forever employable? The key to being for
1: the keys to being forever employable are to uh, first of all is to determine where you would like to plant your flag. So in the book, the first step of the process is called planting your flag. And the idea there is to decide what do you want to be known for? One of those amazing things to me, I, I lived and worked in and around New York City for, for more than a decade. And I was very, very active in the, in the web design, the digital design community there for these reasons. And then every now and again, someone would show up at one of the meetups and I thought I knew everybody, right? And this person would show up and I'd say, where do you work? And they're like, oh, I've been a, you know, SVP of design at Citibank for the last 20 years. I'm like, well, why have I never heard of you? Right. And it's because they, because they never saw a need. They never saw a need to be heard of. Right. They've always, and to me, that's the most terrifying place to be in. Right. So the first step in the process is what do you want to be known for? Where's your experience? Where's your expertise? Where's your passion? And then it's to start to share that expertise generously with your your community, your discipline, your colleagues, people who do what you do in any kind of way that they can consume easily and, and regularly. That's the key because what you're doing is you're building a reputation for yourself. You're becoming, you're, you're building a for better or for worse, and I don't know why this, this term gets a bad rap, but you're building a personal brand. You're you're investing in your own brand to say, you know, I'm Jeff Gotthelp. I'm an expert in product design, product management, and agile design thinking. And if you have those problems, I have answers for you. And here they are on my blog, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on wherever, right on YouTube, I post videos, I make a podcast. And the idea there is to start to build that audience, the audience that cares about what you do and the problems that you help people solve. That's the first step in the process.
0: Okay, and what are some of the other steps Got it. That's it. That's it. That's all I have to do. now. okay. Um,
1: uh, no, so, so look, once you start to do that, what, what starts to happen? So, so the key here is consistency and reliability, right? So you want to be the person that's known for a thing. So the, for, so I give you my example, right? So the, the flag that I planted was on an idea called Lean UX, Lean User Experience Design. Now, why did I talk about that? Because Lean UX is an answer to a problem that I was facing at work. I was trying to do better software design work. I was trying to collaborate more effectively with my colleagues and we were struggling. And I knew that we were not the only team with the struggle. I knew that many, many, many other teams around the world were having the same struggle. We began to solve the problem. I began to talk about it publicly. And so that's the next step is to write about it, to speak about it, to share your information. I, I was using Twitter, I was using Facebook, using LinkedIn medium, any channel that would have provide an opportunity for me to share my knowledge. And the idea there is to help people, is to provide value for free. And I understand that that feels unintuitive, but what you're actually doing is you're building up your credibility. You're building up your credentials, you're building up your brand and your network and your audience. And so that when those folks need help with this beyond reading a blog post, or a series of tweets, you're the first name that comes up. You're the person that they go to and they reach out to you. And that's when these new opportunities start to come in, right? So you've planted your flag, you're telling your story, and now these new paths open up. Initially, these paths are rarely going to be new job opportunities. Initially, these are going to be things like, hey, can you come speak at our meetup? Or can you give a talk at our conference? Or can you do a brown bag lunch? Presentation for the for the t- this team at the office, something along those lines. But all of those are opportunities to practice telling your story, to get to become a better storyteller, and to really figure out where your niche is, right? What the best channel is for you to become that recognized expert in that subject matter, and eventually the paths that open up for you get bigger and more exciting and a little bit scary at times, because they start to pull you away from that traditional career path, right? So for example, I started talking about Lean UX in, uh, in 2010, 2011, and I started- And became, you were
0: still employed then, right?
1: Correct. Full-time employed. And, and talking about the work that I was doing at work, it was, it, there wasn't anything proprietary. It was all process work. It wasn't, we're building this feature and it's competing with this other company. It was, this is how the teams are collaborating which was something that I could easily share. It wasn't a proprietary secret or anything. And it was raising the hiring brand of the organization. They were super thrilled about me being, being out there talking about the company because if I'm out there saying the company does create work, people who wanna do that kind of work, who wanna work that way, apply, apply to work there. So that was really fantastic. At some point, after giving enough presentations and giving enough talks, I was offered a book deal because acquisitions editors go to conferences to understand who's the thought leader on specific topics and they offer the book deals. That was a terrifying proposition for me. I'd never written more than 750 words and they wanted 50,000 words.
0: Yeah. A small jump, small jump. Right.
1: But this is, this is the reason I was doing this, right? The reason I was doing this was to open up more and more and more opportunities, right. To attract more of those. And this was the biggest one to date. And I said, yes. And it was difficult. It was brutal at times. I didn't know what I was doing. I almost didn't make it. But after two years of struggling, I managed with the help of my co-author, Josh Seiden, eventually to get the Lean UX book out into the world. And it took five years. I was 40 when it came out. And that book, because it solved a problem that many people had, and because my name had already become synonymous with that idea after two years of just talking about it, endlessly, well, it just blew up. It, it went viral and it really allowed me to, to explore becoming an entrepreneur initially and then ultimately self-employed.
0: All right. There are lots of great details as well as details about your own story in the book that I think can be really helpful for anyone who is thinking about um, doing what you did, which is having opportunities find them rather than the other way around. And And yes, it does work whether you're Employed or self-employed. Now, since you have chosen the self-employment route, one of the things that often happens when you're the CEO of your own company, whether it's a company of one or a company of more than one, I like to describe it as one of the loneliest jobs in the world, because there are things that you are not going to feel comfortable Talking to your employees about if you have employees or team members, you're not going to feel comfortable talking to partners about if you have partners. You may not want to talk to uh, colleagues in your field if depending upon what those what those situations are, and you may not feel comfortable talking to a spouse or significant other. And frankly, a lot of times they don't want to hear about our issues. <laughs> so one of the things that happens for the the CEO of a self-employed business is that you ha- have these thoughts they often have some fear that are part of them they they trigger anxiety and the more we spend time dealing with these without talking about them the more disproportionate the the negative emotion becomes and i i'd love to hear your thought on how to deal with that yeah
1: so spot on right I mean I the, the, these these terrifying thoughts come all the time right consulting is a cyclical business there's always that that there's the annual panic usually around the end of the year when somebody when, when I started thinking like that's this is it that was the last gig no one's ever gonna hire me again I'm old I'm irrelevant I'm almost 50 now oh my god that's it Get going to get killed like that, that type of thing. Or there's these like, Oh my God, like I need, I like the cash flows getting strapped or whatever it is. Like, how am I going to make sure that they, they pay the kids tuition or whatever it is? All these types of things. Right. The smartest thing. And, and by the way, you're spot on. This is, this is not something not only do our spouses not want to hear about it. I don't want to scare her. Right. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to make her feel like I have less confidence in my business and and that kind of thing. I don't, I don't want to make, give her, give her that anxiety in this particular case. Right. And so the smartest thing that I did, and it was immediately when I launched my business, and I, I did this intuitively. It wasn't. It wasn't a like, I'm going to launch my business and do this. It was sort of step two. Is I started a it's, it was a Slack channel, it's a Slack group of like employed consultants and coaches, people initially people who I knew from real life, who do what I do roughly, either exactly in the same field or adjacent fields or some level of overlap. And over the last six years, that group has become the most valuable support system that I've had for my business, for my professional sanity and my personal sanity. It's taught me a ton about community management for whatever that's worth, which has been really difficult and really interesting. But the folks in that group, all of us have the same fears. All of us have the same anxieties. Everybody's at different stages of their life. Some people have kids. Some people don't have kids. Some people's kids have, have grown up and moved on. All of us have different levels of success, right? Some people have sort of low six-digit uh, consulting businesses. Some people have seven-digit 7, seven digit consulting businesses as well. And we share freely. There's, there's sort of the Chatham House rules, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like we share freely. We share openly. The group stays small it stays intimate and it, and the, the membership stays relatively f- consistent. Really, we, we, we never kick anyone out. The only reason to kick anyone out is if they're misbe- misbehaving, right? They're, they're, they're just not they're being rude or abusive, right? Or they get a full-time job. They, if they become, a, you know, it's kind of like Pinocchio. If they become a real boy, then uh, they, they got to leave the group. But otherwise, like the, the membership stays fixed and that builds trust, And we get to know each other's businesses, and we'll say, "Hey, Bob, you know, like that one time, I remember you mentioning that you had you kind of written this particular clause in your contract for uh, this non for a nonprofit client. I've got a new nonprofit client that I'm dealing with. Can you help me with that that IP clause or whatever it is? Right? It's and it's everything from that to you know, is are my ideas even relevant anymore? Like sanity checking your ideas, it's been extremely valuable. Uh, extremely high signal-to-noise ratio. And one of the things, is, it's, it's funny, we, we, right before the pandemic, so in January of 2020, we did our first in-person retreat. So, uh, some of us know each other from real life, but to get the group, there's 25 people in the group, we managed to get 13 of us out to, to Park City, Utah, uh, to ski for a few days together and just meet each other face-to-face and talk about life and work and whatever and have some fun together. And every single person at some point expressed to me how grateful they were for the group how amazing the group has been and i seconded every every part of that because that to me was it's it's the best thing i've ever done for my business
0: yeah i personally have also experienced that peer support is one of the best ways to overcome that negative emotion syndrome that ceo's face and and it works no matter what size your business is
1: yeah yeah, you need people who understand what you're going through, and and the support groups really help.
0: Um, so thank you for sharing that. Well, Jeff, we've covered a lot of territory in a very short amount of time. Um, your story, which is fascinating, a lot of great strategies for for someone who does not want to become irrelevant in her or his career, whether you're employed or self-employed, to become uh, to create essentially an, an inbound. Marketing engine for yourself, whether again, whether you're employed or, or self-employed. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed, get a copy of your book, access any of those great resources you have, where's the best place for them to go?
1: Jeffgodhealth.com. Everything's there. All the links, podcasts, books, articles, resources, videos, you name it Jeffgodhealth.com.
0: Jeff, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My guest has been Jeff Gotthelf. Thank you again, Jeff, for joining us. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today we learned how you can become a magnet for inbound opportunities and much more. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to smash the plateau. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.